One more celebration this morning is a, a bud in the uh, a rose, a rose in the bud vase. That's what I should say. Indicates that God has blessed us with yet another covenant child. All of them are special to me. Uh, this one extra special because it's my niece's first child, uh, Katie Moore. Katie and Matt Moore had little George Spencer Moore on October 15th. Uh, everybody is healthy, so rejoice with me in God's provision to the Moore family and to the Orangewood family. It's just so, so great to grow, uh, grow as a church through covenant birth. So Yahoo. Hey, this morning we're going to look to God's word. We're going to be actually looking at a sermon. We're going to be looking at God's word. It's going to be a sermon that, that uh, Paul will preach in a synagogue in, in uh, Pisidian Antioch. And if there were one song that he was going to sing to kind of wrap up his message, it would have been just that. So long, Moses. I don't know if he had a chance to listen and a chance to watch and a, a chance to kind of observe what that song was actually communicating. It was the whole story of God's people and how God rescues us, how, how God loves us, and how all of Scripture is going to point to God's Son, Jesus, and how through Jesus we truly can be set free. Through Jesus we truly can have life and life abundantly. Last week, we started a sermon series back in the book of Acts entitled Encounters, Encounters with the Resurrected Jesus. And the reality is this, because Jesus lives, and because he has been resurrected from the dead and conquered it, everything changes. And if you have come into contact with this resurrected Jesus, you know that. You know that the life that we get, the new life, the abundant life, because of an encounter with Christ Jesus. Well... There was a guy named Saul, whose name would become Paul, who has an encounter with Jesus. At, at the time of his encounter, he, he hated him. He hated Christians. He hated the church. His, his whole goal, his whole life mission was to wipe you out. It was to stop what we're doing right now, worshiping God, uh, worshiping Jesus. And, and uh, he wanted to destroy us. But once he saw Jesus face to face, once he had that encounter, Everything changed, changed in his life. He would become one who would no longer go to distant lands to persecute Christians. He would go to distant lands to proclaim the name of Jesus and to see Christians uh, uh, come to Christ and see the church grow. Well, this morning, as we look to Paul and his missionary journeys, we're going to see that first sermon that he preaches. I had the privilege of going with my family this summer. Uh, to the place where he is going to be preaching this morning. I want to I show you a little bit about the location, geography of, of what is happening in the text before us today. So you can see here in this great map, oh, there it is. Um, this story is going to be, begin in Antioch. Antioch is here in modern-day Syria. It's here where uh, God's people are gathered. It's here where we're first called Christians you're going to see a really amazing melting pot of people uh, that God has gathered here at one time, kind of a center of Christian hub. And Paul and Barnabas uh, are, and John Mark are going to go and be sent out and go to Cyprus and then come up this area into modern-day Turkey. And by the way, this is Tarsus. This is probably where Paul grew up. And from here, they're going to travel uh, up into this place right here, which is called Pisidian Antioch or Antioch of Pisidia. It's a different Antioch, so don't be confused. Uh, and I had the privilege of being there. So let me show you a couple of pictures of what remains. It's really just ruins. This would be the city gates. And uh, this will show you a little bit about what remains and 
uh, the way the streets would look uh, right now as you make your way through Pisidian Antioch. It's a, uh, in 25 BC, uh, this became a Roman colony. Uh, Josephus, the historian, would say that there was a large uh, synagogue, a large Jewish population that was here. Um, and as we go along, you can see that most all of these cities would have an amphitheater, a theater. Uh, this was maybe the place that we're going to read about where the whole town would gather to hear the name of Jesus. It's a city where I long for Christian symbols. This is an ancient uh, Christian symbol that would say Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And this little symbol right here, it's kind of like their ichthus. Uh, you can see a cross. I just love taking pictures of anything that I could see and find there that proclaimed the name of Christ. Uh, it's a city where you put your kids on pedestals. Uh, you know, uh, obviously there was something there before. My kids said, let me put you up on a pedestal right there. Uh, interesting signs there. Visiting is dangerous and forbidden. Okay? So we didn't get bitten uh, and, and uh, we got kind of interesting English. Uh, but also, a little place that they had a church, wouldn't you know it, I found a pulpit. Wouldn't you know, I found my way there. Uh, made my pa- family hear a three-point sermon. Um, and then I baptized Joseph. And uh, I found a little baptismal. Maybe it really wasn't a baptismal. I don't know. But an incredible place. The point is to try to, to make God's word come to color. And I've asked Christy, the director of our, our women's ministry, to come up and read God's word. And a challenge for a preacher every week is, how much of the word do we read? It's an incredible story here. So I've given Christy a large portion of scripture that she is going to be reading today. She's the best reader we have on staff. That's why I asked her to do it. Um, but let's be mindful. This is God's word. This is God's story. And it's not just a story to be heard. It's a story that should transform us. So would you please lean in? Would you even ask God's spirit to speak to you as we open up God's word? Thank you, Christy. Good morning. We'll be reading from Acts 13, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip to verse 13 and read through the end of the chapter. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And skipping to verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. 
And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, and they took him down from a tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath, And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Christy. Will you please pray with me? Oh, Father God, would you come and would you be with us in such a clear and loving way that every single one of us will be able to understand this story and the point of it, not just so we can see the point of the Bible, so that we can see the point of this story for our own lives, 
our own stories. And God, would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? Would you give us ears to hear the voice of your son, Jesus? Would you give us minds to understand through the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit to understand your word? And would you be gracious to us and give us hearts that would embrace your truth and your love? And would you be with us so so tangibly that you would empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name? The things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain that, that good news that Paul was preaching, the good news of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to, to set us free? Would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior? And it's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me with an outline, there's one there in your bulletin. And the first thing we're going to see from this amazing text is this, is that it's God who sends his messengers. It's God himself. I mean, here they were in Antioch. Here they were, they were gathered. And I got to tell you, it was a real melting pot of people. You had people there that were religious. You had people there that were irreligious. You had people there that were connected to royalty. You had people there from Africa that was kind of a colorful crowd. There were black folks and, and Middle Eastern, or if that's kind of whitish or whatever, but that's, that's God's church. And what were they doing? They were, they were gathering in worship. That's what God's people do. And in the context of worship, God was going to set apart some and, and through the fasting and praying and laying out of hands, he was going to send his messengers out. It's kind of interesting who he picks. I mean, he picks Paul. I mean, this guy, he's, he's been a murderer. He's been a persecutor. He's been someone like really, really anti-Jesus. And now he's going to become an amazing voice. An amazing one that God's going to use. It's called a chosen instrument to go and, and to bring good news. But we see with this, it's, it's God. It's God who, who sets apart the messengers. It's God who empowers us. Uh, a verse we didn't read. Hey, we didn't read some of the verses in chapter 13. Uh, verse 9 says that the Holy Spirit has empowered Paul. And, and God not only sets apart, he empowers and he sends out his messengers to proclaim good news. Here's what it is for us. Those who God calls, he empowers. Those who God calls, he empowers, he sends. And those he sends to go and tell that good news. Now, there are different roles. Paul had a unique role as an apostle of Jesus Christ, a role that I don't have, a role that you don't have. But here's the reality. Are you a child of the king? Has the message of the gospel come to you? Have you, by God's grace, realized that Jesus is who he claimed to be? He is God's son. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. If so, you've been set apart. If so, you've been empowered. If so, you and I, we are messengers of the gospel. Let me ask you, where has God called you to be his messenger? And where is it? I mean, I mean you don't have to go far and wide. Just look at your life. And, and sometimes, doesn't life seem so random? Sometimes you ever sit here and think, how did I get here? And how am I in this situation? The reality is, is God's hands on everything. You're here by design. You're here for him. And you're here, ultimately, to tell his story. Well, the thing is, is the first thing we see is, is God sends his messengers. The second thing is, is God directs the story. And what an incredible story. I mean, one thing Paul knew was his context. 
He was in a synagogue. He was with people who, who knew the story of Israel, the nation of Israel, God's people. And he's going to take that story. He's going to unpack it for them. But the amazing thing about the story for them may not be hear the story, because it would have been a familiar story. But it would have been, who is directing the story? Who is the, the mover of the story? Who's, who's the real star of the story? What's the power behind it? Did you happen to listen to the verbs as Christy was reading in God's word? Did you happen to read what God was saying, the action points and, and who was doing it? Let me tell you, it's clearly God. It's his story. Let me, let me refresh you what it says. It says that God chose our fathers. It was him who made that choice. God made the people great during their stay in Egypt. By the way, this is not a vacation. This is not a stay at the Holiday Inn Express. Their stay in Egypt was a stay in slavery. It's a long time of slavery. But it says through that, God made the people great. It says that God led them. It says that God led them with an uplifted arm and with strength. He, he led them and he parted the sea. I love this. God put up with them. God put up with them in the wilderness, it says. For 40 years, they were wandering through the desert, whining about the manna they were eating. They were complaining that they were thirsty. They kept on saying, you know what? Why don't we go back to Egypt? It was a lot better than this wilderness here. And I love the fact it says, God put up with them. Let me just hit pause there. Isn't it great to know a God who's long-suffering? Isn't it great to know a God who puts up with our junk? Isn't it great to know a God who puts up with our whining when we can't stop? This is God. God put, uh, not only chose them, made them, led them, put up with them. It says God is the one who destroyed the seven nations in the land of Canaan. It might have been Joshua, but really it was God through Joshua. God gave them the land as inheritance. God gave them judges. God gave them a king named Saul. God gave them a king named David. And he's saying to them, listen, look at this incredible story. It's God who directs the whole thing. They're going, check, check, check. I got it. And then he gets to David. He makes a beeline to Jesus. He says, well, from David, this man after God's own heart, through his offspring, God has brought to you, to us, Israel, a savior. Boom. Not only that, God has raised him from the dead. It is clear that God is the one who is directing the story. But what is phenomenally interesting What I will tell you is really, really cool is that God is the one who directs the story even in the midst of our sin. In verses 26 through 31, it says this about the ones who got the message of salvation. It says, the message of salvation was sent to you, but you didn't recognize Jesus. You guys missed it. You completely missed it. They didn't understand the prophets. It's kind of irony. He says, you know, you show up at synagogue every week and they open up Torah, and they're reading about the one to come, and his name is Jesus, and you completely swung and missed. You missed it. He even says more. He says, this Jesus, and although he was innocent, the spotless Lamb of God, although Jesus has never done anything wrong, you condemned him. You condemned him to die. You did worse. Not only did you condemn the spotless Lamb of God, you turned him over to Pilate, and basically you murdered him. You're thinking, oh my goodness. And then in verse 27, it says this. And all the while, you were fulfilling scripture. Come on, that's cool. I mean, basically he's saying this, is that man is completely responsible for their own sin. 
man is responsible man and its free will is going to make decisions and seem to alter life, even making decisions with Jesus. And they're saying, but everything he did, by the way, there's a sovereign hand over all of it. God's story is unfolding. God is absolutely in control. And even though you are responsible and you are culpable and you will be held accountable for your sin, you were actually fulfilling God's plan. That is good news. Do you know how in control our God is? Do you know our God is sovereign over all things? There is not one, not one atom outside of God's control. Isn't it wonderful that he has a plan? Now that the weather is getting cooler, after we swim, we're getting real excited to go back in the hot tub. It's kind of hard to swim and get in the hot tub when it's like 102, right? And in the hot tub, it's just a great gathering of minds. And so we pontificate about life. And And it's so wonderful for me to be able to get there with businessmen and to hear what they're worried about. And to hear them say, man, I'm just, you know, the market, man. The markets took a hit last week. I'm like, yeah, it did, didn't it? And, uh, uh, you know, I I really think that this stock is inflated. I really think that there's going to be an adjustment. We're living in a bubble. And and then we go to what is going to go out with ISIS? And is ISIS going to go into Baghdad? And and what's going to happen in the world if they go? And and what about our own personal worlds? And I got to tell you, we start talking And it seems like the world's completely out of control, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it feel like, I mean, things have just gotten bad to worse. And God, did you leave the building? And and what he's telling them and what he's telling us is that his plan is his plan. And his plan is unfolding. And God is on the throne. And Jesus has defeated death. And there's nothing going to happen that doesn't pass through his hands. And And it seems like the world is crazy and spinning out of control. But he's not on the throne thinking, oh, no. He's saying, I got this thing. And even in the midst of man's sin, and even all the things that are going on, I got it. I'm in control. I even conquered death. What about you? I mean, this isn't just a story of the world. This isn't just a story of the Bible. This This is your story. This is a personal God who calls himself Emmanuel, God with us. This is a God who loves you enough to send his own son to come rescue you. And when life completely feels completely out of control, and when you think that you've lost a grip on even yourself, there is good news, child of God. God's got his hand on you. And God's story won't fail. And God won't fail. It's God and God alone who directs our stories. And that is good news. And then we see that not only does God send his messengers and God directs uh, the story, but we see that Jesus is the message. I mean, even in that synagogue, the, the whole point of Paul's sermon was, let me tell you your history. And let me show you how your entire history did one thing. It points to Jesus. That in Jesus, everything is resolved. In Jesus, everything finds hope. Jesus is the one. That's why Paul will say, I have good news, really good news, that Jesus has fulfilled all of God's promises, verse 32. All of them. Stagger at that. God's promises are abundant. Stagger at that. They're manifold. He promises a king to come. His name is Jesus. He promised a suffering servant. His name is Jesus. He promised an ultimate judge. His name is Jesus. He promised his son. His name is Jesus. He promised the Messiah, the Christ. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. He says, listen, this is a whole message. The whole thing 
points to him. I mean, Paul's sermon is kind of like a who's who of the Old Testament. He mentions Moses. He mentions Abraham, the judges, Saul, David, and even John the Baptist, the last one who says, Jesus, and he gets the culmination. He said, I got good news. And he gets to verses 38 and 39. He says, and it's this Jesus. He can set you free. It's this Jesus. He can do what Moses couldn't do. I mean, he knew it because Paul himself had studied Moses and the law inside and out. And yet he says this, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes, everyone who believes is freed. And maybe your Bible says justified. It's the same thought. You're, you're freed. You're justified. In believing in him, his life, his death, his resurrection, you're declared not guilty from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Did anybody hear good news? I mean, he's basically saying this. Listen, religion's not going to get it for you. Following Moses isn't going to get it for you. He's just pointing to Christ. And, and Paul could say, listen, you know me. You know where I've been trained. You know that I'm a Pharisee. When it comes to the law, I'm like spotless. But I came in touch with Jesus. And all that studying and all that religion and all that stuff that I did to justify myself, it's in one moment of blindness I could see. And in one moment of seeing that Jesus was alive and to realize that he lived a life that I was supposed to live and he died a death that I deserved to die and that he conquered death and he is now alive. My sins, your sins, they really have been paid for. Our sins, they really have been separated from us from as far as the east is from the west. We've really been robed in his righteousness. We've really been adopted into his family. We really are beloved in Christ Jesus, and he's not changing his mind about us. And we're free. We're free. We're, listen, he knows us, and he loves us. And he's dealt with our sins, and this incredible good news that Jesus and Jesus alone is the message that in Christ Jesus, those who are guilty are free. You know, what's kind of scary about this passage, it's wonderful, is how close you could be to the message and absolutely miss it. I mean, he's basically saying to them, hey, it's to you, it's to you that this good news was given. It's to you that you had the law. To you, you had all of this. Weekly, you would hear that Jesus was going to come, but you didn't recognize it. You didn't understand. You swung and missed. It humbles me. I, I sit here and I think that, how close are we to the message and how many of us don't really get it? It makes me think of our Christian school. You know, we have 800 kids on our campuses on a weekly basis. Praise God, huh? Praise God for the great privilege we have to point our next generation to Jesus. And I wonder how many are that close to the message and just don't quite get it. And we pray that God gives them eyes to see. He gives them a warning about missing the message. He quotes in, in verse 41, he quotes Habakkuk 1.5. And he's basically saying, you're going to perish without Jesus. You're going to perish. Do you know who he is? And he offers us freedom in life. 
You see, in this amazing passage, amazing sermon, we're going to see that it's God is the one who sends the messengers. It's God is the one who directs the story. Jesus is the message of the story. Or Jesus is the message. And the fourth part, you ready for this? God guarantees the success of the story. God guarantees it. His story won't fail. Look at verse 48. It's, it's an astounding verse. I mean, it, it really, it's kind of earth-shaking. It, it might even be to some offensive, but it says in verse 48, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed that it had to be God's hand in those who were responding and those who didn't. And that word appointed in the Greek, tasso, means to ordain or enroll in the book of life. There's no way that we can turn this around and says to many, to all who believe they were appointed. It clearly shows that this is not only God's story, this is the God who's going to make the success of the story. Scripture tells us this. It tells us that before time began, God chose in Christ Jesus some who will hear the story and believe. It says that before the foundation of the world, he chose us in Christ Jesus to be holy and blameless in his sight. And it says, you ready for this? In love, in love, he has predestined us to be his sons. And it's basically saying this, this God of ours is so gracious that we are going to be like those that were described in this passage. Although we're told we're not going to believe unless God gives us the ability to believe. It's not because if you hear and you walk out of here, it's not because I didn't do my job. The reality is it's God who guarantees success. I don't know why. I don't know why it pleased God to choose some and pass by others. I know none of us deserve it. I know that, that, that it's more amazing that God chose any. Because why? Because Scripture tells us that all of us by nature are children of wrath. Scripture tells us that all of us are dead in our trespasses and sins. What does a dead man choose? What does a dead man hear? What does a dead man respond to? He has to be made alive before he can do anything. You see, the amazing grace of God is grace from start to finish. It's grace, 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 God's grace. And those who are appointed to eternal life, those whom God just, just by his grace for his glory, because he loved them, they heard and they responded. All, not some. Not some of them who were appointed to eternal life. Not most of them. All of them. And here's the beautiful thing. In John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, I, I know my sheep by name. And the good shepherd, I mean, he says, my sheep, they're going to hear my voice and they're going to come. Basically, the reality of this message is, is God is the one who sends the messengers. God is the one who directs the story. Jesus is the story. And God is the one who guarantees success. Here's what it means for you. Go and, go and proclaim Jesus. Go and go talk about Jesus to your friends and neighbors. And it doesn't matter. Your ability is not what's most important. It's your faithfulness. God's the one who's going to give ears to hear. And here's the beautiful thing every one of us needs to know. His story won't fail. He won't fail. 
Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. He's on the throne. He's reigning. And his kingdom has come and it will come in its fullness. And go tell that good news. You see, God sends us in the world. He sends you, he sends me to tell his story. God is the one who's directing our stories. And amazingly, our stories can be a part of his story. Jesus needs to be the message, the life message of your life and my life. That's the reason that we have life and life abundantly. And Jesus guarantees the success of our stories. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, if you're his, you're making it home. You're making it home. And he loves you. And you're going to see him face to face. Let us pray. Father, it is so awesome to have passages like this where we so clearly see that you are Emmanuel, God, with us. That you are the one who is directing not only history, but our stories for your glory. We thank you that all of history is pointed that your son would come to set us free. Jesus, we thank you that even through our ignorance and our selfishness and our sinfulness, your story is fulfilled even though our sins would drive you to the cross. Thus, Scripture is fulfilled and we could be set free. Jesus, thank you for doing everything that David couldn't. His body is decaying and rotten, but yours is not. Thank you for empowering us to give us the ability to hear the story and respond to your love and call to become your children. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for anyone here whose story is not your story, that today you'd give them ears to hear. They'd realize the depth of your love. And for the rest of us, may Jesus be our message. And may we go from here knowing that you send us, knowing that you empower us, knowing that you direct us. It may seem so random, but you're in control of everything. And knowing that the success of our stories is in nail-pierced hands. And we know it's gonna win. God, thank you. Thank you for that love and faithfulness, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.